Thank you for joining us as we continue our current teaching series, Chasing the Wind, teachings from the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Hey, you doing all right? All right, Warm, warming up a little bit, waking up a little bit. Hey, we're glad you're here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. I want to welcome each and every one of you. One of the easiest ways to stay connected with what's going on here at Riverbend is to download our Riverbend app. And on that, you'll find a connection card. You'll find what's going on here. And also a section called Sunday Essentials, which will give sermon notes that follow along with today's message. But again, so grateful to have each and every one of you here with us today. I'm so thankful to hear from our Lehigh crew students how well their trip went at Panama City Beach, Florida. They were giving me a little update uh, briefly. They said it went really, really well. So praising God for that. Let's give it up for, to God for that, man. That's awesome to hear and to watch the work that he's doing and how he's advancing his cause and his kingdom here on the earth. But again, we're so grateful that you're here with us today as we're continuing our teaching series called Chasing the Wind. It's a study on the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by King Solomon towards the end of his life as he was an older, wiser person, and not in the sense that he lacked wisdom, but he chose to follow all that God had for his life in the sense of understanding his way of living versus God's way for him and aligning with God's design. So he's giving these lessons to us to help us to understand what does it mean to really have a life that's full of substance and significance? How do we ensure that we're building our life on things that will last, things that truly matter, that we have the right perspective? These are the kind of things that he shares in the book of Ecclesiastes. One of the things that I've come across time and time again as we've been in this series is this quote. And this quote says, I couldn't look at the sun directly, but I could look on the places where the light fell. And as I heard this quote, this is from St. Augustine, and as you listen to what he's saying, it reminded me of what I heard King Solomon say throughout Ecclesiastes. And, and what this really tells us is we know that there is a God out there, and we couldn't see him, this is what St. Augustine saying directly, I couldn't look at him directly, but I could look at the places where the light fell, the light that would remind me and tell me of this God who has created me and made me for a purpose and on purpose, this God who has not only created me for a purpose and on purpose, but wants to know me, wants to have a relationship with me, has provided a way for that to happen. All these ways in which he's at work, his activity in our lives, and all around us. And the tail end of this quote, where the light fell, is the name of the memoir that Philip Yancey wrote. And Philip Yancey looks like Bob Ross, but he's not Bob Ross's family member. And, and, and in case you're wondering, like, man, are you sure that looks like Bob Ross's identical twin brother uh, to me? This is not Bob Ross's twin brother or brother or family member. But what's interesting as you read and listen to the life of Philip Yancey, he's a New York Times bestselling author, is one of the things that you hear him describe is his own story and his own journey with having to wrestle with what does it mean to have faith in this God that sometimes is misrepresented, and specifically for him, 
in the church setting. He grew up in the church. But the church he grew up in was a church that would add things to what God had for us as followers of Christ and for others as well. The, the church he grew up in was a church that was, was marked with racism. In fact, they wouldn't allow black people to join the church. Now, they could come and listen, but they weren't allowed to become members of the church. One of those people was Dr. Tony Evans. He, he showed up at that church. And if you don't know Dr. Tony Evans, Google him. He's an incredible, incredible pastor, preacher, leader. But they had great teaching there. It just wasn't a full representation of Jesus and his grace. And then things would also be revealed to him about how his father passed away when he was one years old. See, his father had passed away, and the way in which he died was because of polio. But the reason why he was not able to heal from polio is his family, his mom and dad, thought that if you really exercise faith, you wouldn't listen to what the doctors had to say to you, this curable disease. And they left to go home and to see by faith if healing would happen. And then he ends up passing away. But this part of the story was hidden from Philip and his brother. And it wasn't until he was in college that he found out how his father ended up passing away. And these things were just unearthing to Philip. But one of the things you discover as you listen to him and watch his, his writings and you hear him, it's a desire to come face to face with Jesus. One of his books is called The Jesus I Never Knew. And it's really to make sure you get a snapshot of who this Jesus is that you don't oftentimes, depending on your situation or your background or your story, get to really see. There's a, a picture that we can project on Jesus, but it's not a full picture of who he is. And then the book, What's So Amazing About Grace and Disappointment with God. You hear these things through his writings come up again and again. And at the heart of it is really to wrestle with this area of faith, but to come under who this Jesus truly is and what he has for our lives. And I've been listening to his memoir. It's been so, so good. But one of the things I was struck by as I was listening to him and, and I've been following his writings and in his life for many, many years, is again, how he still has a robust faith. Even though there were a lot of reasons why he could have pulled away. He could have said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with the church. I'm done with followers of Christ. I'm done. And it was a long road for him to get to the point where he said, no, I'm going to lean in. But when he was choosing to lean in, how God showed up in his life. Now, as we think about that, there's a couple things I want to ask us as we think about our own story with God and where we are, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not. I want to ask you this simple question, what circumstances in life cause confusion? What are the circumstances in your own life that bring a sense of being disoriented? That when you look at whatever you're experiencing or going through or what's going on around the world, but they, they cause this confusion in your life and at the the midst in the midst of it it's it's tempting in that confusion to pull all together away from god and his church it's tempting to do that because of what it is that's causing this confusion but i think it's important for us to address what circumstances in life are causing us confusion to be able to identify those things 
And here's the next question. What does it look like to walk by faith even when life doesn't make sense? What does it look like to walk by faith even when life doesn't make sense? Because I think often we hear this phrase, especially in the church, walk by faith, not by sight. But what does that mean? Especially when when life doesn't make sense to us. How do we make sense of it? And how do we have eyes to see in the midst of what it is that we're facing and experiencing? Again, what does it look like to walk by faith even when life doesn't make sense? Philip Yancey says this, and I think it's really important. He says, faith is often a cyclical process of order, disorder, and reorder. It's the cyclical process of order, disorder, and reorder. And there's been a lot of talk right now about the phrase deconstructing one's faith. Maybe you're familiar with that. Maybe you've heard that. But what I love Philip Yancey is saying here, and as you listen to him talk further, he's saying, hey, it's, it's more than than doing that. It's really about recognizing what's the order I'm holding on to that may be out of order for what God has. And there's this being disoriented that comes when that happens, whether it's life circumstances, something that someone shares with us, scriptures that we're reading, experiences that we have. But again, it goes from this order, the way I see the world, my framework, and it, it may be part of what God has to say, but a lot of it has my own perspective and flavor to it it's my own construct and the way in which i see the world and when that happens and we see that wait a minute the order that i have isn't holding up against the circumstances in life that are confusing to me it causes us to feel disordered but then moves to a reordering as we come under who jesus is and what he has for us it's really beautiful again faith is often a cyclical process of order disorder and reorder. And to help us further even understand what this looks like, King Solomon has so much wisdom on this topic. We're going to actually be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 today. So if you want to open up your Bibles, feel free to do that at this point. You can use the Bible app. We have free copies of the Bible. We have verses on the screen as well. But I want you to hear how King Solomon goes on to unpack this idea of walking by faith. Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 1. It says this, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. I love this. This is so helpful to us, right? He says, hey, for us, as we think about our lives, as we look at the totality of life, the righteous, those who are rightly walking with God, those who have been made right with God in response to Jesus, those who are about his right ways on the earth, bringing about his righteousness here, and the wise who see things from God's perspective and apply what it is he has for them. He says, all that they do are in God's hands. They are in God's hands. And not only that, but he says, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. No one knows. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't know what's to come. And this is what he's getting at. And this is important because this means to actually have faith, to trust God, and to follow what he has for us, even when we don't know the outcomes. And we're a culture that's outcome-oriented. We're addicted to outcomes. 
So much so that often what can happen is we take responsibility for things that God's not asking us to take responsibility for. He's asking for us to give our lives and put them in his hands. To live in a posture of surrender. And Solomon goes on to say this. He says, all share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. And again, he says there's this common destiny for the righteous, for the wicked, for the good, for the bad, the clean, the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who not, do not, those who are willing to make oaths and those who are afraid to. There's this common destiny. And as we continue on here, I want you to just think with me what he's getting at because what he's talking through and what he's helping us to understand is that there's this common destiny for each and every one of us and the righteous and the wise as we put our, our lives in God's hands. He's trustworthy, but again, we're not knowing what's going to happen. We don't know the love or the hate that awaits us. And one of the greatest characters that you can study to see this really play out is the character of Joseph. And Joseph's story is found in the book of Genesis, but Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. And for 22 years, he was separated from his family as he was in Egypt. 22 years, that's a long time. That's a long time, 22 years. But God was with Joseph throughout. It says again and again about the life of Joseph, God was with him. Say that with me, God was with him. God was with him. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is with you. And this is really key because what happens in the life of Joseph, there are these circumstances that are disorienting, that don't make sense. It's what Solomon is saying here, right? You don't know the love or the hate that awaits. You don't know. And yet it says that God was with him. And then Joseph rose to prominence and had favor. And there's this, this great vision that he's given about this years of prosperity and this years of famine that's going to happen. And, and he lets Pharaoh know that as he's in Egypt. And then he oversees the grain distribution. And he's finally face to face with his brothers. But his brothers didn't realize it was him. And it's this incredible scene of watching God be with Joseph. But as Joseph sees his brothers, it says he weeps so loud that the whole palace could hear it's not just like, yes, we're reunited. It's like, wow, this is overwhelming. And his brothers, as his, their father, life is ending. They're afraid of what's going to happen to them because their dad's not there to protect them any longer. And I want you just to hear this conversation between Joseph and his brothers. It's in Genesis 50. It says this. This is what you are to say to Joseph. Ask you to for, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, he wept. Right? He wept. And, and so what's happening is Jacob sends this message, or it seems like this, we're not totally sure, but that his brothers give this message to Joseph. And it says when Joseph heard this, he wept. But then it goes on to say this, it says, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, 
don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And what a journey that Joseph's been on to get to this place that when he's before his brothers, hey, don't be afraid. He speaks kindly to them. I mean, can you imagine this? Like, this is a great betrayal, but he speaks kindly to them. And he says, hey, we're going to take care. We're gonna t- I'm going to take care of you and your children. Hey, what you intended for evil, God has used it for good. The saving of many lives. In Genesis 45, it says, hey, you didn't send me here. God sent me here. Like, you didn't send me here. God sent me here. And for us, that blows our mind because it doesn't make sense. It's disorienting, right? And yet, this is what Solomon's getting at, this idea that our lives are in his hands. And we don't know the love or the hate that awaits us, but we know the God who's with us. And we know the God who can take bad situations and circumstances and turn them into something good. And it's beautiful to behold, and it's beautiful to think about. But what faith Joseph exercises, what faith Solomon's talking about. So as we continue on, here's a couple things I want to give to us. No one knows if love or hate awaits them. No one knows. No one knows. And this is the scary part, right? Because sometimes we want to ensure, oh, no, all I want is love. (laughs) You know, all I want is this love. I don't want no hate, right? Like, I I don't want no hate or hate, right? I don't want to be hated on. I don't want to experience that. But this is part of life where people aren't always going to like us. And this is what Solomon's getting at here. But we know our life is in his hands. We know that the destiny that we are going to experience as followers of Christ and those who aren't followers is the same. And we're going to get to that in just a few moments here. But I don't want you to miss this. Again, no one knows if love or hate awaits them. The next part of this is that faith says, whatever the circumstances I find myself in, I can trust that Christ is in control and deeply cares for me. And when I say he's in control, I mean that he knows the whole plan. He knows the way in which he's going to take something bad and wicked and evil and turn it to good. He knows. It doesn't discount what people choose to do that are in opposition to what God has. It doesn't discount our free will and the choices that we make. That's not what I'm saying at all. But rather to know that there's a God who's with us and that he walks with us and he cares deeply for us. So again, faith says whatever the circumstances I find myself in, I can trust that Christ is in control and cares deeply for me. The next part of this, and it's really a question, do you trust Christ with whatever circumstances you find yourself in? That is, care for you is true. Do you trust him? Do you have that kind of faith? Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, and that he cares for you, because I don't want you to miss this. He goes with us. He cares deeply for each and every one of us. And so again, part of walking by faith is to know that this is the God that goes with us. He goes with us. Well, as we continue on here, listen to what Solomon says. He says, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes us all. The heart of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, 
They join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a a live dog is better off than a dead lion. A lot of profound wisdom here, right? You're like, thank you, Solomon, for these nuggets, right? (laughs) But what's he getting at? He's saying, hey, listen, anyone who is among the living, it's better to be alive than to be dead, right? He's saying, and he's comparing these two animals. Uh, How many of you would say a dog is stronger than a lion? Nobody, right? No one's going to say that, right? And in Old Testament literature, what you would hear is lions are often talked about because of their sure power and and what it means to to stand in the ways of God. But what he's getting at is saying, hey, even a a dead lion, even as great and powerful as a lion is, has nothing on a dog that's alive, right? This is what he's getting at. He's talking about just the gift of life, that life is a gift. Life is a gift, and I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to miss what he's getting at because he wants us to understand that there's not only hope for us to enjoy life, But there's also this hope that we can change and we can grow and that we can see our life circumstances, whatever they may be. We don't have to be defined by them, but we can be defined by Christ and let him meet us in whatever we're facing and whatever we're going through. And he talks about, again, the condition of us all. He talks about our our hearts and and how apart from God, you know, we, we need to get back to what we were intended for because when genesis 3 happens there's brokenness but before that happens you see genesis 1 and 2 we're made in the image of god and and we're walking with god in the cool of the day adam and eve we're doing that right and often we start at genesis 3 and we forget about genesis 1 and 2 and we can't miss the picture that we are meant to be restored to what god has for us we're going back to the identity that he's created us for this imago day made in the image of god And it's so key that we don't miss this. Again, anyone who's among the living has hope. Well, it continues on here. And he says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun now this is not a theological lesson that he's given in the sense of what happens when we rule and reign with jesus it's not that he's just simply talking about life and death he's just comparing these two things these two realities that we experience and he's saying again for the living know that they will die there's this awareness hey that that we're going to die but the dead know nothing In other words, there's nothing more that they can do under the sun on this side of eternity. There's nothing more that they can do. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have part in anything that happens under the sun. And he's just given us perspective of the gift of life. And so as we think about what he's saying here, I want to give us a couple things. One is this, that your life is a gift. Your life is a gift. Say that with me. Your life is a gift. Turn to your neighbor and say, your life is a gift. And I, I don't want us to miss this because I think one of the things that's tempting to do is to act like the life that we experience is just the humdrum, boring stuff. And there's part of that. That's true. But sometimes in that humdrum, ordinary stuff, we miss the gift. 
We missed the gift. Like, let me tell you a gift that I had this weekend. There's many of them, but I'm going to give you one. I got to go to my brother's Chick-fil-A restaurant and participate in his re-grand opening of their Playland area. It was awesome. Chamber of Commerce was there from Whitehall. Man, they had these massive scissors. They were huge. They were a ribbon-cutting ceremony. They asked me to pray. You know, the, the Playland area was open. My son was excited. Ray, my son, loves that play area. He was just so fired up. And I'm just like soaking it all in. I'm like, wow, this is like a gift. Like, wow. Like, this is my life. This is the life that you've given me and my family. You've taken me and my brothers from Smyrna, Georgia, and planted us here in the Lehigh Valley. And to listen to what the chamber had to say about my brother, I can't tell you how proud I was of him and his wife, Lauren. They talked about the good they do in the community. They talked about how an, what, what an impact they're making because they see their business as a mission. This is a gift. This is the gift. This is the stuff that you soak up and, and you live, lean into as you live your life. You recognize it. I saw many of my friends from Riverbend there. It was so fun. You know, I, I got to hear Chris and Sam Dean play some songs. We don't talk about Bruno. They even did a rendition of that acoustic. If you don't know that song, it's from a Disney movie. Man, this is good. But when's the last time you just said, my life is a gift? When's the last time you've just taken inventory and soaked it all in and said, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, I get it. There's hard stuff. I'm not discounting that. But when's the last time you just said, this is amazing. This is such a gift. Because life is a gift. And this is what Solomon is getting at. He's saying, hey, listen, we've got a giver who gives us this gift called life. And we want to not lose sight of who he is and what he has for us. Now, we don't want to worship the gifts, but we surely want to enjoy the giver of the gifts and the gifts that he gives us. We want to enjoy the gift of this life. Again, your life is a gift. This brings us to the next part. We walk by faith when we see and steward life as a gift. When we see and steward our life as a gift, we walk by faith. You need to know that your life is a gift. You need to walk in that. You need to relish in that reality. You need to steward what He's put in front of you and in you. Because we're going to give an account for that. We're not going to give an account for what somebody else did with their life. And I know some of us are great at managing others or being envious or jealous of others. That's the human condition, right? That's the stuff within our hearts. But in Jesus, we can say, well, my life's a gift. I don't have to be somewhere else to experience the gift. I don't have to be somebody else to walk in the gift. I can see the gift that this life is. And I can help others to see the gift that they are. Again, we walk by faith when we see and steward life as a gift, and when we take time to not only recall it, but help others to do that as well. One of the things that me and my family have is a Crayola membership. How many of you guys have been to Crayola Factory? Show of hands. You know, it gets a little crazy in there, right? It gets a little like nuts. And one of the things I noticed when I've been going lately is I've been noticing there's a lot of people but not a lot of staff. 
and, and you know, it's, it's easy to, to look at that and be like, man, what, why are lines so long? You know, what, what's going on here? You know, then there was this lady in the cafe. And I, I'm, I kid you not, she was taking the orders, making the food, bringing the food out. One person. And there's this huge line. Huge line. And I just stopped her as she was waiting on me. And, you know, I kept, you know, kept ordering. I just said, hey, thank you. Thank you for the hard work you guys do here. Thank you for running like a mad woman. Like, I think you got more steps than anybody here today because of the amount that you've been going back. And Thank you. And I love to tell each of the workers that I see, hey, you're doing a great job. Thanks so much. My, my son enjoys it. And I, it is not about me, but this is me savoring the gift that I'm receiving from their service and that my son and I and my wife get to enjoy at Crayola. It's those types of things that give us an awareness to see. Because if we don't see, it's not because it's not there. It's because we're not looking. You see what you're looking for. You see what you're looking for. And when you call it out, it causes you to see. Again, we walk by faith when we see and steward life as a gift. And then as we continue on, how do you view life? And how are you living while you have life? This is a question we all need to wrestle with. This is something that I want you to just give thought to and account to. Because God is, again, going to ask us how we stewarded our life, the totality of it. And again, this is not about perfection, but this is about walking with Jesus and basking in the gift that he has given to us. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want to miss it because I'm tempted to miss it. I'm tempted to miss out on the gift that life truly is. Well, Solomon continues on here, and he says the following. He says, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. And I love this. What a paradox, right? It's like, man, this is interesting what he's saying here. But what he's getting at is what we just talked about, the gift of life. To enjoy the food that he provides for us, how he meets our needs in this way, to enjoy good food with gladness. He says to drink your wine with a joyful heart. Not to, to get drunk on wine, but to enjoy the gifts that he provides in these types of ways. For God already knows. He's already approved your days. He knows what your days are going to be. And we need to steward our lives well and live in light of who he is and what he has for us so we don't miss out on the gift and the giver of that gift. But he says, always be clothed in white. And this is an interesting phrase. This really speaks to this idea of being radiant. It speaks of joy. In this culture, they would wear white because it would get really warm in a little Eastern culture. And so they would wear white because it would help them to stay cool. But white also speaks of purity and holiness in the sense of how our sin was like a crimson stain, right? It says it was like, man, it was, it was so, so red, like so, so dark over our lives. But he washed us white as snow, right? In Christ, we're, we're made new. Our sin is dealt with. 
And so this is a picture of what our life is to be like as we walk with God. We're hidden in Christ. And so we're holy and we're righteous before him in response to him. It's not something we earn. But then we want to walk and stay in step with him so that we live our lives separated to him and for him and that we join him in what he has for us. And this anoint your head with oil speaks of this idea of, again, this joy and this gladness. It's this fragrance that we give off. The aroma of Christ that we're intended to bring wherever we go. And these are all pictures that he's given to us. And he says, enjoy your life. You know, the wife whom you loved all the days of your life. And again, for, for him, he's talking in a culture context where marriage was the standard. And again, marriage is such a gift, and I'm not discounting that at all. But if you're not married, I don't want you to miss this. He's really talking about those in your life that you value and who are close to you. If you're married, yes, savor that gift for sure. But if you're not married, I don't want you to miss the point here. He's saying, hey, we're meant to share our lives with others, not to miss the gift, the gift of the people who are in our lives, those who are closest to us. To miss those gifts would be something of a tragedy in our own lives. So not to miss that. And then he goes on to say this, and this is the last part of the section here. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Again, whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. Again, he doesn't want us to lose perspective about life and our time here on the earth. Because in the realm of the dead, when this life is over, we can't do these things. We can't do the things he's talking about here. And as I thought about what Solomon was getting at, I was reminded also of what the Apostle Paul would say to the church in Ephesus. He would say these words, and this is found in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I actually want us to try to read this out loud together, all right? I'm gonna, I want to, now if we get off track, it's fine, all right? All right, there's no, but I want us to read this out loud together on three. One, two, three. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Give yourself a round of applause. Great reading. Great reading. Yes. And what, what Paul says here is so beautiful. He says it's by grace through faith. It's grace through faith that saves us. So we're not saved by our good works. Praise be to God, right? Because we can't perform perfectly. But we are saved for good works. The good works he's prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. Another way to say this, his masterpiece. Created anew in Christ Jesus. There's good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. There's good works he's prepared in advance for me to do. And these good works aren't limited to what happens on a Sunday gathering at Riverbend Community Church. They're wherever you go and really who you are and what it is that your experiences and your background and how God brings all that together. But I don't want you to miss this, that you're his handiwork. You're his handiwork. You are created anew in Christ Jesus. 
So as we continue on here and as we wrap up our time this morning, here's the next part. We walk by faith when we enjoy what God's grace has enabled us to do. See, there's this saving grace that's found in Christ. We receive what Jesus has done for us. We can't earn it. There's the sanctifying grace that allows us to join Jesus and to be transformed in our character and our competencies in Christ. But there's also this strengthening grace. And strengthening grace enables us to join God in what he has for us. Grace is like this diamond that is multifaceted. And you, look, you hold it up and you're like, oh, okay, here's another. I didn't see that. I didn't see it. It's not a fake diamond. You know, it's a real, the real thing, right? It's the real genuine thing. And when you see a real genuine thing, you're like, wow, this has all these dimensions that I didn't see before. And so one of the things we don't want to miss is that his grace in our lives is first to receive what he has for us. And it's these gifts that we talked about, but it's this enabling grace. It enables us to join him and what he wants to do in our lives, what he wants to do through our lives, and what he wants to do around us as well. Again, we walk by faith when we enjoy what God's grace has enabled us to do. Enjoying the gifts, enjoying the food, the drink, the people, enjoying those gifts, enjoying the labor that's under the sun, enjoying it. Because he's enabled us to do it. Which leads us to this question, do you regularly rejoice in God's grace? And give his grace to yourself and others. Again, grace isn't earned. Grace simply means unmerited favor. Grace is given from God to us. It's received. And we walk in it. But do you rejoice in that? When's the last time you rejoiced in the grace that God has for you? And has given to you? When's the last time you were gracious to somebody else? Even that coworker that gets on your nerves? You know what I'm talking about, that classmate, right? When's the last time you, you relished in that grace? Because we can't give what we haven't received. And if we're not regularly receiving, it is very difficult for us to give because we often project on people what we say of ourselves. So if we have a spirit of rejection, we're going to reject others. Or we're going to have a spirit of inferior <laughs> complex towards ourselves. We're going to elevate them just and lower ourselves. If there's a spirit that says, man, I'll never be enough. I'll never be enough. I'm always failing. I'm a mistake. We're going to treat people that way. Instead of saying, no, wait a minute. I'm God's handiwork created anew in Christ Jesus. This is by his grace. These are the good works he's prepared in advance for me to do. That's going to change how I not only view myself before God, but how I treat others. Because you're going to see them as the handiwork of God as well. Image bearers. Image bearers. So I want you to be thinking, do you regularly rejoice in God's grace and give his grace to yourself and others? We are meant to be these types of people. People who receive the gift of his grace and give it to others. But we can't give what we do not have. We cannot see what we are not looking for, right? We, we have to make some choices here. We have to join God and walk by faith. And as I think about this idea, even today, today, right now, in San Antonio, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, 
my buddy, my friend, who's part of our church, John Huey, is there not just relaxing. San Antonio's great. He's actually competing on the American Ninja Warrior show on NBC. All right? He's competing. All right? He's, he's on there right now. It's awesome. But here's the thing I love about John Huey. Beyond his awesome hair, his frohawk. You, you may not know who I'm talking about, but he's got a gray frohawk. Here's what I love about his posture. He says, hey, I've been blessed to be a blessing and pray for me as I compete, but pray that no matter what the outcome is, that I would still be a blessing to others. Him competing on the American Ninja Warrior, I don't know where your theology teaches you, but when I read what Paul just said, and what I read what Solomon just said, hey, these are good works he's prepared in advance for my friend John. What are the good works he's prepared in advance for you? Are you stepping into it? Are you leaning into it? Are you receiving that grace and giving that grace to others as well? And that's just one example. There are many other examples I could give. But I don't want you to miss what it is he has for you. Let's pray together. Father, right now, we just pray as we continue our time together this morning that you would help us to be men and women who are marked by faith. A faith that says, the substance and the significance of our faith isn't built on our circumstances, but it's built on Jesus Christ, who's the cornerstone that is even greater than our circumstances. The God that goes with us, the God who cares deeply for us, the God who allows us to receive the gift of life, to see the gifts. They could be small, medium-sized, or large, but they're all gifts from you. And I pray we'd have eyes to see, Father. Lord, help us as your church to not be people who take things for granted. Help us not to be an entitled people, God. Help us not to lose sight of the mission that you've called us to. But we can't be on your mission if we aren't communing with you. We can't be on your mission if we don't see the gift that is you and the gift of the people around us. Lord, help us to walk in your grace. Help us to bask in it. Help us to not only receive it, but to give it. Help us to be filled afresh with it. Help us to know that it's your grace that enables us to enjoy the gifts that you have given to us. It is your grace that allows us to step into the faith. Lord, we don't have to have a huge amount of faith. You say it's faith like a mustard seed that causes things to grow and develop Jesus. So I pray we would remember it's not the amount of our faith, but it's about the person in whom we're putting our faith in. And so today, Jesus, we say we're putting our faith and our trust in you. We love you, and we're so grateful to walk with you. Lord, I pray for any person here who needs prayer, needs someone to talk to, needs to let someone make know of a decision that they've made, and maybe today's the day that they're placing their trust in you. I pray, God, whoever they are, wherever they are, that they would let us know so that we can walk with them. Lord, we thank you for this time to gather together today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.